Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Follow along as I read, starting in verse 1. And it came to pass that, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive every one that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in this journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is a friend, yet because of his importunity or persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given. It shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask for an egg, will he, off, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. An internship with the church in Kansas, Calvary Baptist Church, 42 years ago. And then I was ordained there in 1983. So I've known this church for 42 years, and they're going through a very difficult time, and they still are. So pray for them, and just pray that God would give wisdom to the deacons. I stayed with one of the deacons, a very sweet man, a retired medical doctor, very obviously brilliant man, but a godly man, and he's just under a lot of pressure trying to counsel families that are really struggling to stay in the church and things. So it's just a difficult situation. I've never known this church to go through something this severe in the 42 years that I've had a relationship with them. So they would definitely appreciate our prayers. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Luke chapter 11. And let's just read verse 13. The message this morning, as I continue our series in the parables... The message on this parable of the friend who comes at midnight, I'm entitling this message, Pleading for Power. Pleading for Power. That really is the theme of this parable, that we as the people of God will beg God for the power of the Holy Spirit. Because having the power of the Holy Spirit, we will have all we need and more to deal with life. Luke 11, verse 13 says, and read it please with me if you have your Bible open there. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father 
give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. So let's pray. So thank you, Lord, for your teachings. Help us to know that there is no true happiness in this life apart from you. There is no life, eternal life or abundant life apart from you. And there is no fulfillment of true purpose apart from you because the breath we just took, you gave to us. And we're not here without you. We're here because of you and we're here for you. So Lord, work, we pray. Fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit that we might serve you well in our lives. And now, Lord, save anyone today who has come into our place and they know not you as their personal Savior. Lord, work salvation that they would know they need Jesus. And Lord, would you bless everyone who does know you to know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Pleading for power. So we all know what an instinct is. We have various human instincts. An instinct is an inclination toward a particular hardwired behavior that is basic to our human condition. So we all know what we're, I'm talking about here. We have basic human instincts, like we, get, we have the instinct of thirst. And what do we do when we feel the, the thirst that, that is natural to all of us? We what? And does water satisfy that thirst? Yes. So basic instincts, God meets those needs. We have the instinct of hunger. The basic instinct of hunger. And when you get hungry, what is your instinct? It's to eat a piece of pizza. Not just eat. Eat a piece of sausage and pepperoni pizza, for that matter. All right. So, and it satisfies that hunger. Now, what is our basic instinct when we are in distress? When there is true trouble? When there's trial? Great, greater than our situation is able to deal with. What do we do when we feel helpless? What is our basic instinct? It's to pray. It is to pray. That is a basic human instinct. To pray. There are no atheists, somebody has well said, in the foxhole. And just as much as food meets, meets the instinct of hunger and water meets the instinct of thirst, prayer does really meet the instinct of our need when we're in deep distress. If there was no reason to pray, and if prayer didn't really change anything, then God, the God of the Bible, is a liar. And He's deceived us in a monstrous way. Because the Bible tells us over and over again, we are to pray. It even says in the Psalms, O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee all flesh shall come. That's because we have an instinct of need for God. And prayer doesn't change, just merely change things. Prayer changes what? As it says on the screen, everything. Prayer does change things. Now some doubters will say, ah, prayer doesn't do anything. I prayed for this or I prayed for that and nothing changed. Well, you stop praying. You stop praying. Prayer changes things. Ask Elijah when he prayed for rain. Did it? 
Prayer changes things. Ask Daniel when he prayed for God to show him Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Did God do it? Prayer, prayer changes things. Ask the Canaanite woman who went to Jesus and said, help my daughter afflicted by this demon. And she even said, just a crumb, Lord, from your table will bring healing. Did it? Yes. Prayer changes things. Ask Cornelius who prayed and God sent him Peter. Ask the dying thief on the cross who prayed, Lord Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And we can go on and on. Prayer changes everything. This passage of scripture tells us all about prayer. So it begins in verses 1 through 4 with the famous, we call the Lord's Prayer. And that is a prayer to publicly recite, and it's beautiful. We don't do it at every service here, but we do it occasionally. But it's even really a pattern of prayer. Have you actually ever prayed the Lord's Prayer? It will take you about a good hour. (laughs) If you say, Our Father which art in heaven, and just land on that for a while, and just praise God that He's in heaven, that He's over all, and He's sovereign, and go through each phrase. That's, it's really a pattern for prayer. And then we see the persistence of prayer in this parable of the friend at midnight, which we'll consider today. And this brings us to the power through prayer, through persistent pleading. And that's the message today. Pleading persistently for the power of God. And today, I want to teach you a simple prayer that can change your life. Because it's a prayer for the power of the Holy Spirit. And notice in this passage, it begins in the first verse where the disciples came to Jesus and they, they said to Jesus, what did they ask him in verse 1? What, what was the request? You could talk to me. Yeah. Teach us to preach. Because they wanted to go out and preach the, 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 the kingdom of God. Wait, wait, is that what it says? Teach me to preach. No. Teach me accounting because I need, I'm in debt and i got to get out of my debts. And, and I need to understand the structure of money. Is that teach me accounting? No. Oh, no. Teach me to what? Pray. Think of that. What does that mean regarding us in prayer? We need to learn. We need to be taught to pray. Jesus never, from what we know, never taught his disciples to preach. Yet we have classes on preaching. I even teach one. But, you know, if you learn to pray, everything else will fall into place. Prayer must be learned. So let's learn how to pray and ask the Lord for the power of the Holy Spirit. And notice in this passage... The Lord's Prayer begins in the pattern, what? Our Father, which is in heaven. And then for the prayer, for the power of the Holy Spirit in verse 13, is the Father is referenced again. How much more shall your heavenly Father? And where is He? He is in heaven over all. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? So, our heavenly Father... In this story, in this parable of this friend who comes at midnight, really beginning at verse 5, and that's where our message will really begin today, we see you in the middle of two friends. So in this parable, as you read it, Jesus said to them in verse 5, which of you 
shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. So who are you in this parable? Who are you? You are you. (laughs) In this parable, who are you? You. It says, which of you? That's you. Okay. Did I lose you? (laughs) You are in the middle. You're the man in the middle. The woman in the middle. Of two friends. One friend who's starving. He's come to you. And he needs what? Bread. But you have nothing. But you say, oh, I have a rich friend who can save us out of this situation, a saving friend with the bread. So I have one friend who needs the bread, and I have a rich friend who's got the bread. And you're in the middle. And so how do you get the bread that you need? And really, the ultimate bread you need is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the bread. So let's look at this, how to plead with God for the power of the Holy Spirit. And I submit to you, without any question at all, praying for the power of the Holy Spirit, praying for the fullness of the Spirit of God in your life, you will receive a a sure answer. You could have His power of the third person of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. We're talking about being filled with God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, coming upon us so that we will have what we most need. So how do we plead with God for this power? That's the question that I pose in this message. How do we plead with God for this power? The power of? The Holy Spirit. You understand the message? That's the message right there. How do we plead with God for the power of the Holy Spirit? We all need this. There's not one person here who can say, oh, this message isn't for me. No. So the first thing is we come with great urgency. We come with urgency to our friend who has the bread. Because look what it says in verse 5, and here's the urgency. Which of you shall have a friend... And shall go to him when? At midnight. And you'll say, lend me three loaves. I need the loaves. And I can't wait until the morning. I need the loaves right now. So that's the urgency. So if we're going to have the power of God, we have to want God's power. And we have to be willing and ready to receive the power of God. Of course... I'm talking primarily to Christians. If you're not saved, you need Jesus. You need Jesus to wash your sin away. You need Jesus to cleanse you. You need Jesus who is the one who rose again after he died on the cross. And if you call on the name of the Lord, you could be saved today. You don't have to wait to be saved. You could be saved today and you could be filled with the Spirit today. The Spirit-filled life is actually the normal Christian life. Urgency. The Bible speaks of urgency in prayer, doesn't it? Does the Bible put a high priority on prayer or a low priority? 
Pray without ceasing. So in other words, like you breathe without even thinking about it, we're to be praying like that. Just have a constant fellowship with God. You don't even think about breathing. You're breathing without ceasing. In that sense, we're to pray without ceasing. Continuing instant in prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. Lend me three loaves. I don't know why three. Could be the triune Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three, the number of completion. We want the fullness of God. Three, the number of resurrection. We want the power of the resurrection in our life. Lend me three loaves, Lord. A completeness. That's the number three. Fullness. Completeness. Do you want to know what desperation is? Urgency. I read this story in May. It was May 1941. A young Marine named Walter Ossipoff boarded a DC-2 transport plane. He was going up in the, in the beautiful sky off of the city of San Diego for a routine parachute jumping exercise. The pilot, Harry Johnson, went up into that sky. Nine men jumped off the plane, parachuted down, and then disaster struck. Marine Lieutenant Walter Ossipop. As he was standing there ready to jump out, something happened that caused his ripcord to catch on something. And as he was standing still in the door, his parachute deployed before even jumping. So as the parachute flew open and flew out the door, he was he was ripped from the plane and he hit into the plane, the side of the aircraft, breaking two ribs, fracturing three vertebrae. And as Ossipov then plunged toward the ground below with his parachute all in, in knots, he was suddenly, he was falling and then suddenly he was yanked to a stop and he was brought back. And what happened is his open parachute caught the plane's tailwheel. And then it wrapped around the wheel of the plane, and now he's dangling 15 feet below and behind the tail's, the, 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 the plane's tail, hanging by a thread in the shrouds of this torn parachute. <coughs> but then it gets worse, because the chest strap of the parachute broke, and one of the leg straps of the parachute broke. And the other leg strap had slipped down to his ankle. And he's literally being held. You can see him there. That's him. (laughs) It's a real picture. Hanging, dangling in the air. Hanging upside down. Flying around in the plane. Suspended by a single strap. He was injured. He was terrified. Blood was dripping from his helmet. As he was suspended by that single strap. His parachute entangled in the plane's wings. His weight was putting tremendous pressure on the plane. The pilot was struggling to keep it from nosediving. He was desperate. This was a hopeless situation. He was running out of time because the plane was running out of fuel. And if the plane tried to, to land, <laughs> goodbye, Lieutenant Walter Ossipoff. So the people on the ground looked up and couldn't see that it was a human being. So pilot, the the marine pilot came down to about 300 feet so that two men standing on the ground, Lieutenant Bill Lowry and his buddy, John McCants, could look up and say, hey, 
That's a man hanging from that line. So there were no radios in, the pl- in these planes back then. So Lowry jumped in his plane, and he flew up, and he hand-signaled to Johnson, the pilot of, of where the Osipov was dangling. He, he said, go up higher, because the, the, the air was so, um, it was is moving. So they went up higher for smoother flying. Then the smaller plane somehow maneuvered beneath the larger plane. And while the smaller plane was trying to maneuver to get under him, it actually hit Osipov a few times. Until finally, the man in the back, and this is a true story, he he literally stood up in the back of his plane, and when Osipov was close enough to him, he grabbed him, and he lunged for him, pulled him into his tiny seat, and Osipov said from the hospital after this situation, I put a death grip on him. And I don't believe anything would have pried me loose. <laughs> but the problem was, is Osipov's parachute is still connected to the tail wing, to the, to the tail wheels of the other plane. So if the plane separated, he would get ripped out. of, And maybe both of them would get ripped out of there. So here's where a miracle took place. The pilot of the smaller plane, Lowry, somehow maneuvered his plane closer to the transport plane and with incredible precision used the propeller to cut the shroud lines that held the parachute. And that's what this picture, this is is an actual cartoon rendition of this, this rescue where it's showing how the smaller plane with its propeller cut the, cut the parachute so that Osipov was now free of the parachute. So now he's holding on to McCants in the back of the plane, but, but they're still not safe yet because the parachute is now in the rear tail assembly of the smaller plane. And so Lowry struggled to maintain control of the plane, but he did, and he landed it. And some said it was the most brilliant, daring rescue, one of the most brilliant rescues in naval history. May 1941, you could look it up. There was urgency. They couldn't wait. One man's life was at stake, and they were willing to risk theirs. Where's our urgency? We need the power of the Holy Spirit, because your life depends on it, The lives of those around you depend on it. The power of the Holy Spirit depend on Him. The second thing is this. Not only do we come with urgency, but we must confess with honesty, with true honesty. And what's the honesty in verse 6 of our text where you, that's you, go to your friend with the bread and you say, friend with the bread, (laughs) I need three loaves. Why do you need three loaves? And what's the response? What's the honest response in verse number six? What does he say? Three words. What's his honest response? I have nothing. We don't like to say that. We don't like to confess that. We like to think, I got it all under control. I don't need anybody. That's why most people don't even think they need Jesus Christ. But you need Jesus. You have nothing in you to save yourself. You have no righteousness of your own to save yourself. 
And once we're saved, we have no power of our own to live the Christian life. We have nothing. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Confess that with honesty. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, said, The Holy Spirit enters in His fullness the heart that can boast of nothing but aching void. Aching void. If you don't feel that void, you'll never confess with honesty. You'll never come to the Lord with great urgency. But you in the middle, you've got people around you that are starving. How can you help them? Go to the one who can fill you. And when he fills you, you'll have the bread you need to satisfy the true needs of those around you. This prayer for the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm here to say today, is sure to receive a real answer. A sure answer. But we must come with urgency. We must confess with honesty. And thirdly, we must then continue with importunity. Continue with importunity. And that's verse number 8. Because his friend says, with the bread, the friend says, you're bothering me. You are interrupting my sweet dreams. And I don't appreciate being woken up from sleep. I'm with my children. I'm in bed. And I'm not getting out of bed for you. (laughs) So go away. (laughs) And the guy said no to himself. And he kept knocking. And he kept knocking, and he kept saying, I need three loaves, but go away, but I need three loaves. And he kept knocking, and that's what you call importunity, persistence. He said, trouble me not. That means, don't annoy me. Now, very interestingly, that's the same word, trouble. You see that word trouble in verse number 7? Put a note in your Bible to Luke chapter 18, verse 5, another parable of Jesus. Remember the widow? She needed justice, and she was going to the judge. He didn't. He was an unjust judge. Remember that story? And the judge told this widow the same thing. Trouble me not. You're wearing me out. You're giving me a black eye. Go away. But she wouldn't. She kept praying, and she kept seeking. Just like this man in the middle keeps bothering his friend, continue with importunity. Now you say, what does that word mean? Brother Edwin said it when he read the scripture perfectly. It just simply means what? Persistence. A no-give-up attitude. You have to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. How? With continuous persistence. And there are three words the Lord uses to illustrate this persistence. Because we're prone to give up. And what are the three words in verse 9? And I say unto you... Now, who's talking? Jesus is talking. So Jesus' authority is behind these words. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. And then what does ask, seek, and knock spell in an acrostic if you take the first letter of each of those words? What does it spell? Ask. 
So you can't, you can't mess up the order. You can't forget that order. It's ask, seek, and knock. Those are the three words of persistence here. These words demonstrate clear persistence. Ask, seek, and knock. In the, in the text, they are all commands. In other words, Jesus is not saying, i got a suggestion for you. You may want to try this if you have some time, but if you're too busy, I certainly understand. No, this is a command. A command is, it doesn't matter how busy you are. Ask. It doesn't matter what you've got, how, many, how much stuff is on your plate. Seek. It doesn't matter all the problems you have in your life. Keep knocking. These words are present commands. That means they're in the continuous tense. And they're spoken with the authority of Jesus. Jesus' word and his own experience are behind these commands. Ask, seek, and knock. We don't simply do it once. We do it consistently with importunity, with shameless persistence. We prevail. We don't quit. And these words also should result in us having a great expectancy. An expectancy. What do I mean by that? Well, what does it say after ask? Does it say ask and if you, 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 you might get what you need? Is that what he says? Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall, not might, you will find. Knock and it shall be open to you. So if you ask, seek, and knock with this persistence, you could be sure to expect an answer in God's time. Ask. Faith asks, hope seeks, and love knocks. Faith asks. You say, well, I don't know how to ask. Nobody would tell me that. Because even a little child who doesn't know how to speak, they know how to what? They don't have to... And you know exactly what they want, right? Little children know how to ask for stuff before they can even talk. So just cry out to God. Ask. Seek. Now, the the point of seek is put feet to it. Because when you seek something, if you lose something like I lose something like every five minutes of my life, I have to to put feet to it. I have to... Did you ever lose something and have to retrace your steps? Okay. You had to like, what what did I do? I put that down. And do you ever put something down and you just weren't even thinking? You're like, where did I put that down? And you lost it. Come on, make me feel better. You've done that too. Oh, Look at that. So you have to retrace, you have to put feet to your seeking. Seek. Couple with your asking. Seek. Build your case with the Lord. Claim His promises. Lord, you said if I ask, you would do it. Claim this word right here. This is what you said, Lord. This is, you said, Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth said, I say unto you, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be open. So last week when I was in Kansas, I was sitting, it was Saturday afternoon, I was sitting in the home of my dear friends. I went the wrong way. Uh, this is Kent and Virginia Holcomb. This is the brother I did an internship with back in 1981. Now he's the retired pastor of this church. But anyway, so I went to his home and we were, 
We're actually sitting there watching. They love uh, college football. I don't really like sports very much, but I said, okay, I'll, I'll endure this. I'll endure watching a football game with you guys. But uh, they, they love, uh, they're, you know, they, they're from Kansas, and he loves K-State. They're watching a Kansas State football game. And so I was watching that. And all of a sudden, there was a knock at the door. And Virginia said, that's Ezra. And Kent said, how do you know that's Ezra? Because I know his knock. Ah, perfect. And they, do you think, oh, that's Ezra, just let him keep knocking? Do you think that's what they, he's a six-year-old boy, knocking at the door. Oh, that's Ezra, I know his knock. What'd they do? Somebody ran to the front door and let Ezra in. You know what Ezra did? He ran into that room and guess whose lap he jumped in? Got a big, beautiful hug from the one who knows his knock. From Grandma, from Grandma Virginia. And I thought, that's so beautiful. Beloved, knock. And the Lord knows your knock. He knows it's you. He knows your knock. He knows who you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows you need Him to open the door and He'll embrace you with love. He will take you in His arms and say, I will meet your needs. Love answers. Asks. Seeks. And knocks. This middle word here, I just wanted to just read a couple scriptures. Ask, seek. Seek is a big word. And it's throughout the scripture. It's used many times, and it's used in the book of the law, Deuteronomy. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt, if you, you shall find him if you seek him with all your heart. There it is in the law. It's in the Old Testament narratives, like in Second Chronicles 15. The Lord is with you while you be with him. If you seek him, he will be found of you. It's in the prophets. It's in Jeremiah chapter 29. You shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. It's in the, it's in the Psalms of the books of poetry. When you said, seek ye my face, my face said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. It's in the... Sermon on the Mount, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek. Is God a liar? No. Why does he say to seek him? So we find him. And we have to continually ask and seek and find. And as we come with urgency and confess with honesty, continue with this importunity and praying, this is how we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. As we see in the conclusion of this passage, this is where Jesus is bringing this to to a whole conclusion. In verse number 13, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? So you see, ask, seek, and knock refers to us asking for the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let let me say, and I haven't said this. When we're saved, the moment we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit's indwelling. He indwells every Christian. We don't have to pray for His indwelling. But once we have His indwelling, while we have all of Him, He doesn't have all of us. So praying for the power of the Holy Spirit, we're saying, Holy Spirit of God, take full control of every room in my life Every dark place that no one knows about, 
but you and I take control of every action and every word and every attitude. Take full control. It's the idea of control. Fill me with the Spirit of God. We don't want to be drunk with wine that is under the control of alcohol. We want to be under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what we're talking about. And the last thing then is, as we pray, we can confidently rest with assurance that He will answer. And what are the words of assurance here in our text? So let me read verse 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, what are the next three words after that? How much more? How much more will your heavenly Father give who? the Holy Spirit, to them that ask Him. So we can confidently rest in great assurance that we will receive the power of the Holy Spirit because we see that right prayers lead to right results. So here's a son, and he asks his father for a piece of bread. What does he get? Hello? He gets a piece of bread. A son asks his father for a fish. What does he get? A fish. He, he asks his father for an egg, which is a little bit more of a luxury, but what does he get? An egg. That father would never give his son. I mean, it's almost like, this is almost Jesus' attempt of humor. It's almost like humorous. Like, can you imagine a father giving his son a snake if he asks for a piece of food or give him a stone if he asks for a piece? No. But not only, it's, it's laughable because it would be so abusive. You agree? I mean, if a father did this to his child, this would be like the worst kind of father you could ever have. You can't imagine a father to do this. But just like a father will offer the right thing when the son asks for, for something good, so how much more will God do for us? But I, I'm going to close with a few points here, and this is important. Now, you have to think a little bit with me, if you may. I know you like, you're very thoughtful, very intelligent. Okay, so the question I want to ask here, and in this parable, there's two examples of this, very interesting to me, is where Jesus is, in a sense, representing God as an... He, when, remember the, when you're in the middle and you have a saving friend? But that saving friend was what? He got annoyed. He was annoyed and he was uncaring. He was unkind. No, I'm not going to take care of you, you know. But, but finally, you know, he got up, not because they were friends, but because he was tired of being annoyed. So why would, now, that's a metaphorical representation of God. So my question is, why would Jesus represent God, the one to whom we go, as like this annoyed, unkind neighbor. And then here in this, at this, the verses that we just read, a father who would give potentially a stone or a snake or a scorpion, 
Jesus is metaphorically saying God is like this unnaturally abusive father. And, and in the parable, I referred to it earlier, the parable of the unjust judge. In a sense there, the father is, in metaphor, the unjust judge. Why would Jesus represent God as a unkind, annoyed neighbor, an unnaturally abusive father, some kind of unjust judge, why, why is the father, in a sense, metaphorically represented in this fashion? Or, does that make sense to you? Does that question make sense? And I believe, why? You, how do you want to know why? Okay, good. I'm glad you want to know why. <laughs> because Jesus is predicting and even sympathizing with the hard thoughts and the false perceptions that we often have about God. We may think of God like a neighbor we're just annoying or God's annoyed with me. He, he won't want to answer my request because, you know, I've done this or that. And, and so... A lot of people think God is in heaven with thunderbolts, you know. You step out of line, you better watch a PCI, I got you there. Good, you know. <laughs> a lot of people, because of our own sins and guilt that we have, maybe because of certain expectations we have on God, that I prayed and nothing happened, so God mustn't love me. And so we often do have hard thoughts about God. We often do think he's unkind. We may think he doesn't love us. We may think he's not fair. Why did you allow that to happen, God, if you're just? Why did that happen if you're good? What is all this world about so full of injustice and pain and war and bloodshed? What kind of God would allow? Let me tell you, a lot of people have very hard thoughts and misconceptions about God. That's what I believe Jesus is using these, these metaphors for. So he's sympathizing with our hard, hard thoughts regarding God. He doesn't rebuke this, but he counsels us to face our hard, hard thoughts and know that God isn't that way. God, it, you know what? God loves you. And he will receive you just like... Just like Grandma Virginia received her little six-year-old grandson, Ezra. How much more will God receive you? How much more does God love you? Do you think Grandma Virginia loves her grandson more than God loves you? Do you think, you I don't doubt Virginia's love for her grandson. But don't doubt God's love for you. He sent his son, Jesus to die on the cross, to bear your hell. Yeah, there's a hell. That's why He came to die, to save us from eternal damnation in hell. And He wants to save you. So my challenge is when you go to God for a real need, and we all need the power of the Holy Spirit, refuse to fall into this trap of perceiving God to be like this unkind friend of verse 7, like this unnaturally evil father in verse 11, like the unjust judge we've been talking about in Luke 18. And I haven't even mentioned this, but remember that other parable, the parable of the, the talents and the, the last guy? 
he didn't do anything with his talent. He buried it. And when he met the Lord of the vineyard, the Lord said, why'd you bury your talent? And what did the guy say to the Lord of the vineyard? He said, because I knew you were a hard, hard person to please. And so an austere man, harsh and overbearing. I knew that's the way you were. So I just buried my talent. See, again, Jesus is predicting the hard thoughts and the wrong ideas that people will have about God. You know why we have wrong ideas about God? Because we don't know the Bible. If you don't go to the Bible to find out who God is, you will, rent, you will end up with wrong conceptions about God. We've got to go to the Word of God to find the true and the living God. So refuse that trap. So will you pray today for the power of the Holy Spirit? Will you come with urgency? Will you confess with honesty, I have nothing? Will you continue with this persistence, this importunity? Will you confidently rest in His assurance? How much more will He do this for you? If a father will meet the needs of his son, how much more will God give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? We need the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome our angry temper, our cursing words, maybe our desire to do things that we should not do, commit adultery or fornication, pornography. We need the Lord to give us power to overcome our our selfishness, our pride, our envy, Whatever you are struggling with, and all of us struggle with something, because we're human beings in this life, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's my prayer. So, so simple. I offer it to you today to pray, Oh God, give me the fullness of your Spirit. Fill me with your love, your joy, your peace. And that through the Holy Spirit, I would know you better. Because you know who the, what the Holy Spirit will do? He will show you Jesus. You will see Jesus, and you will get to know Jesus Christ better because the Holy Spirit glorifies you. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you like a refreshing water. He will burn in your heart with, with zeal like fire. He will illumine you and you will have light to understand the Bible. He will anoint you with fresh oil to be able to speak His word and love to others. He will give you grace. He will give you confidence. He will give you strength. He will give you meekness. He will give you love. He will give you peace. May God give you the power of His Holy Spirit. Let's stand together as we pray. Thank you, Lord. Give us that urgency, the same urgency those two marine pilots had to save that man dangling upside down by his ankle, flying through the air. Lord, we are desperate today for you. So God, fill us with your Holy Spirit and forgive us for us often walking and living out in the flesh. Would this be your prayer? Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the spirit of love.
Fill me with the spirit of joy. Fill me with the spirit of peace that passes all understanding. Is that your prayer today, O child of God? Just put your hand up and say, yes, Lord. My prayer is to plead with God for the power of the Holy Spirit. May he come today. May he manifest his presence in our midst and be like a refreshing water to your soul. May he fill your heart and mind with light and illumine you to understand. May you have fresh oil, an anointing, a health, a power of him. Oh God, help us, we pray, to love you and live for you. You may put your hands down. And Is there anyone who'd say, and I'm not going to embarrass anyone nor call you out, but just to pray for you. Is there anyone who'd like for me to pray for you because you say I'm not a Christian and I need Jesus Christ to save me from my sins. Maybe you're not interested in the things of God, so maybe your prayers. I, I pray that God would spark a greater interest in my soul. Or maybe you want to be saved today, but you're, you need salvation. You know you need Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life so that you know you have eternal life. You don't have to think or maybe have a, oh, I hope so. No, you can know so. How many would say, Pastor Matt, pray for me. I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. Is there anyone? Can I see your hand? Is there anyone like that? So now, Lord, please work, and we love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.